been a while, um, and it's great to see everyone here. Um, as has been said, my name's Adam, if you haven't met me before. Um, as you can hear from my speech impediment, I'm from the UK originally, but I have been living here uh, since 2003 with my wife. Our two boys were born here, and so we kind of feel local until we don't. You know, but, you know, mostly we feel like we belong here, which is great. And um, it's been, yeah, a wonderful welcome this morning. So um, I was um, recently sent a message from one of the guys in our congregation. Um, and it's actually somewhat inspired this morning's preach. Um, it was just a WhatsApp. It said, hi, Adam. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, what am I looking for? Um, which I just thought was a great question, actually. You know, and, and sometimes to find a good answer, you need to start with a great question. And um, I was encouraged this morning, Richard actually um, spoke about this passage as he was talking about the new members coming in, seeking first the kingdom of God. So let's look at there to begin with, Matthew 6. Um, and it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added to you. Now, this is given in the context of um, Jesus saying, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, don't worry about the other. Um, and in fact, um, he's used this same word, seek, to talk about seeking something to eat. Has anyone ever been hungry? And you're home on your own, and it's not supper time. But you're pretty sure there's something in the fridge, maybe from the night before, maybe from the week before, you're willing to take a risk, <laughs> and you seek something to eat. That kind of seeking, there's a kind of a seeking that happens when we're hungry that has to do with looking for, but it's more than looking for. It's really endeavoring to find. Um, it's really going for it and, and, and just digging into something. And this is what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about seeking the kingdom. The word seek um, is to seek by inquiring, to investigate, to investigate, to reach a binding solution uh, or resolution, uh, to search. So when we look at this word seek, and I want to break this down into three pieces really, the seek first the kingdom. Let's look at what seek means, then what first means, and then what the kingdom means. But um, in this first section, just looking at what seeking really means, um, it's not rocket science, it means seeking, but there is this, this nuance that it's really to, to strive after or to endeavor to find. It's not just like when we, we were in Hamanus just now, and um, you stand at the front, you're looking for whales, but you're standing still. You're just kind of scanning and Oh, there's one. Awesome. And it was, we were blessed. We got out of the cars. We walked straight up to the wall. There's a whale. It's just come in. It has its calf right there and then sails out past the bay. And we see it with the little one and its tail's flapping. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, but that kind of seeking, it's more just like a look. You're just having a look. I wasn't getting on scuba gear, you know. I wasn't diving in the water. I wasn't investigating the whales. I was just having a look. What Jesus is talking about here when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, is really investigating, really putting in an endeavor, really like when you're trying to find that leftover, it's at the back of the fridge. 
we're, we're talking about a real effort. And, and that's important that we understand that. Um, in fact, in Luke 12, he uses that same word seek, but do not seek. He says, do not seek what you're going to eat or drink or be worried. So he's using the same phrase there. So that's how we understand this, this context of maybe how you'd hunt for food or, or how you'd look for a drink if you're thirsty. Um, in exactly that same way that you, he said, don't do that. Rather, seek first the kingdom. And so let's look at this word first. Because I think we all know what first means, don't we? Um, if you're running a race, who's first? Well, the one who comes first. Yeah. <laughs> Is it the one who puts in the most effort in training? We don't know. He might fall over. Has anyone watched Cool Runnings, that movie from like, back in the day about the Jamaican bobsled team? And the guy who's put in the most effort falls down halfway along. And a bunch of guys who actually didn't stand a chance of getting to the Olympics, they make it across the line first because they finished. Sometimes being first is about finishing in a race. But here, the word first we're looking at, it's, it's first in time, for sure. Um, first in place. But here's a key one, first in order of importance. You know, if you were a collector and you collected marvelous things, um, Bible talks about someone who collects pearls. Um, that sounds expensive. Um, but maybe you collect pearls. Now, if someone said, which is your first pearl? You might say, well, it's the first one I bought. But if someone said, which is your primo pearl? Like, which is the best? Like, which is the one you're most excited to earn? You might go, this one. <laughs> because that wasn't the first one you bought but it is the biggest and the glowiest, and it's got that luster, and you kind of go, this is amazing, this is the first. This is really the one that comes first in my collection. It wasn't purchased first, but it comes first. And, um, and so there's something to do with this word first, where in, in the, when you do the word studies on it, it talks about something being before or at the beginning, but then there's also this word chiefly. And we know what a chief is, you know, g'day chief. Um, and so we, we need to come to a point where we're seeking, we're endeavoring to first, chiefly, above all else and before all else in importance. Um, for example, you might put God first in your day. Who, who here has a... Actually, I won't ask you to put your hands up. Richard's watching. Who here has a quiet time? You can just nod to yourself. You have a quiet time. It's possible to have a quiet time in the morning. And, and by doing that, you're putting Jesus first in time. But are you putting him first in importance? Is it possible that the moment you've had your quiet time, you tick the box and you walk out and live exactly how you were going to live anyway? And at that time spent either pondering God or talking with God or just reading the Bible or prayer, whatever it was, and however meaningful it was and however um, intensely spiritual or engaged with God you were in that moment, just because it came first in time, does it mean it's come first and important? Has it really impacted the rest of your day? Like one of the challenges for me, I, I, I'm not the sort of person who naturally would get up early, and I've sort of been trying to train myself to do that. And it feels like I've landed in a place where I'm now kind of naturally getting up early, which is kind of bizarre. 
Waking up before my alarm clock is not something I'm used to doing. So then you wake up and you put you know, yourself into that place of, okay, I'm going to read my Bible now. I'm going to try and pray now, maybe worship now. But how long does that last <laughs> in terms of your day? The first time I have an interaction with a person, am I being loving? Am I being kind? Am I reflecting Jesus? If I'm not, then do I have to then go again and have a quiet time? No, it's just that rather than just only putting Jesus first in terms of time, we also need to put him first in order of importance. So in every moment of every day, there's this sense of, is Jesus the thing that's the guiding thing in this moment? As I'm having this conversation now, is Jesus the important thing in this conversation? As I'm doing this business deal and I have the option to cut a corner and make a buck, is Jesus the most important thing? And so on and so forth. So, so sometimes first is not first in terms of time, though it can be. And Jesus often went out himself and prayed in early hours and, and definitely praying first is a good way to set your day on track. But it's not the only way that we understand first. And then last of all, and probably this is the biggest one, because that's what the question was, this guy was asking, what am I looking for? If I'm seeking first the kingdom, what is it I'm looking for? And, and the kingdom is, is, well, I mean, that's a big thing. Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot, and I certainly don't have time to say everything he said about it. And even if I said everything he said about it, it wouldn't answer the question because he spoke in parables, which is almost like speaking in riddles, deliberately so people wouldn't always get it, and we have to kind of allow the Holy Spirit to bring it out for us. But I'm going to just look at a couple of things that I think will be helpful here in terms of us going, if I want to be someone, like Richard was saying, coming into membership in the church, for example, are we going to seek first the kingdom of God together? Is that something we're going to do? If it is, what does that mean? How do we unpack that in our lives? And so um, if we consider, for example, John four, uh, not John, Romans 14, 17. Um, Romans 14, 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, remember when we talk about peace in terms of the peace that God gives, Jesus said, John 14, 27, that he doesn't give peace like the world gives. So it's not the same as what the world gives. You know, peace in the world would be having all the right insurances and having all the right protections and having a large wall around your house and lots of barbed wire and a large dog. That might bring peace as the world gives. Um, it might be having a secure job and, you know, um, education sorted out for your kids. That might be peace as the world gives. But there's a peace that Jesus gives, which has actually nothing to do with our circumstance. And in, in some ways, that's very much like the joy that he gives as well. We were down on Woodbridge Island yesterday, and um, as we were leaving, we saw this car. It was this rather nice Porsche. And the registration plate said, Pure Joy. And I, I'm... <laughs> Immediately, I was reminded of James 1 verse 2, where it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials. And I'm like, is this guy maybe a trial lawyer? And he's, he's, 
he's earned all his money by falling into various trials so he can afford a Porsche. Um, you know, is he an attorney? Is, you, know. you see, what the world considers pure joy is different from what Jesus considers pure joy. If I'm going to measure pure joy by whether I get to drive a Porsche or not, I don't have joy because I drive a Toyota like many folks do. And um, if I'm going to measure joy by where I live or what I wear or what I eat or how I dress, you know, the things I can afford, the pleasures that life gives me, if I'm going to measure joy in those ways, I'm not going to have joy. Because there's always something that someone's got that you haven't. You know, someone did research, and I can't quote the stats exactly, but um, they were interviewing people saying, how much more than the salary you get would be enough? And the research came back that basically it didn't matter how, who you talked to, it didn't matter how good their salary was, everyone thought about a third more than they were getting would be about right. You see, most of us, we're not unreasonable. We just want a little bit more. Just a little bit. Just a third more than I'm on. That would be perfect. Yeah. Just, it would just take away the uh, end of the month thing. You know. It just pushes us over. We're, we'll be comfortable then. And um, the truth is, if we're pinning our joy on that, we never have joy. Because there's always more to be had or to be gained. And in the same way, peace. If our peace comes from not ever experiencing conflict. Well, then that's the peace as the world gives. But imagine the peace that Jesus had hanging on the cross. Imagine that peace. That's a very different kind of peace. Imagine the peace that Paul and Silas had in jail when they start having a praise time instead of licking their wounds and lamenting their circumstances. That's a very different kind of peace, isn't it? That joy and that peace that caused them to sing rather than cry and, and caused the chains they were in literally to fall from their bodies. And then in that moment, not going, well, the Lord has done a great work of redemption here. Let's leg it. Instead, they hang around, get the jailer saved and all his family and still appear before the judge in the morning. Now, how many of us, if we had that miracle in our lives, you know, we've been put in the jail for something and we've got chains on our wrists and then we praise Jesus, you know, we just get into the second chorus of how great is our God and the chains fall off, we'd be like, tickets, I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> um, and, and, and you could totally say that obviously God was leading me this way because I've gotten out. Paul and Silas didn't see it that way. They said to the jailer, don't, don't harm yourself. They bring in the gospel. There's this amazing thing that happens um, in that situation. And um, when talking about the kingdom, Jesus gives us a, a few different pictures. And, and like I say, they're, they're puzzles. They're, they're riddles in a sense. Because he doesn't give us specifics. But he talks about hidden treasure, treasure in a field. He talks about a pearl of great value. That someone would sell everything they have to get that thing. Or, or whether it's the field or whether it's the pearl, that there would be some kind of investment, there would be some kind of um, giving up what I have to get the thing that's worth more than what I have. And that's very much what the kingdom of God is. That whatever we have in terms of earthly possessions, there's something that's better than that. 
and would be worth giving those things up to get. And that's Jesus. It's relationship with him. It's, it's a life spent with him, serving him, giving ourselves for him. And then there's other parables he gave, like the mustard seed that is planted and becomes a tree that all the birds of the air can come and flock in. And actually, that was one of the um, prophecies given even before Josh Jen was planted, that it would be like that. There would be this tiny seed that would become a tree and then the birds of the air could come and find rest in its branches. And that's something we've seen in, in Josh Jen. It's been amazing to see so many different congregations sprouting up and growing. And, and even out here, so far from you know, where... Congregation One was in Sunningdale, and yet God's doing stuff and continuing to do stuff up the south coast into Zimbabwe and different places. It's amazing. But that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God grows. It advances. Um, it was like leaven that a lady puts into a batch of flour, so like yeast in the flour, that when it's mixed, it actually ends up going through the whole dough. Um, it's like a giant fishing net that brings in a massive catch. What is the kingdom of God? It's infectious. It grows. It brings others in. It gathers. And um, it's worth giving up everything to find. One of the, the ways we pursue is by being involved in the church. And earlier we looked at Ephesians 3.10 um, where it says that the church, you know, is the expression of the manifold wisdom of God. Um, and in that context, we heard, you know, iron will sharpen iron and we'll be rubbing up against each other and we'll be shaped and we'll be challenged. And, and, and that happens on every level. It happens on the family level. It happens on community groups. And, and then it happens when we're interacting with our leaders and they're growing us and, and we're growing, you know, by interacting with them. But ultimately, the kingdom of God is something we're to pursue. What does that look like for us? Like I say, in some senses, the, the kingdom of God is this very broad thing that's not specifically defined. And yet for each of us, there is something that it means. For each of us, there's something that God will be speaking to us about. We can't just find a rule book because it's about relationship with him. It's about actually knowing God and hearing God. And, and so uh, walking with him in, in a way that we can hear his voice and follow what he says. And so there was this um, call that was made during the worship. If you feel like you're trying to do it without the Holy Spirit. And that really is the, is the message of what I'm talking about. Um, that passage in Romans 14, 17, where it says, The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For myself, I mean, I just recently came back onto eldership. I had a time I was off eldership, sorting out areas in my own life where I was not pursuing righteousness. And let me tell you, it is not possible to have joy or peace without having righteousness. Um, righteousness first comes as a gift to us. We're given the righteousness of God. And then we have to work out our salvation. And it might be that for you, you've received the gift of salvation, you've received the gift of God, and yet there's an area of righteousness you need to work out in your life, in the Holy Spirit. And that means listening to Him. That means listening to leaders. That means exposing your life to others so they can speak into your life. And um, 
being challenged on the things that you like about yourself or that you secretly enjoy but that actually aren't a reflection of Jesus in your life. And so righteousness is, is key because it's very hard to have joy when you haven't got righteousness. It's very hard to have peace. I know for myself, in the end, that was the thing that, that brought me to a place of repentance was that actually my peace was so far gone. I didn't even know if I'd be saved if I died the next day because there wasn't righteousness. I'd been given Jesus' righteousness, but I hadn't lived out his righteousness. I hadn't continued to pursue righteousness. I hadn't sought after it along with his kingdom. It's possible to seek the kingdom, but it says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And many Christians will come to Jesus on the last day and say, Lord, didn't we not seek the kingdom? Didn't we not cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, perform all kinds of miraculous signs? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that bothered me a lot. That bothered me, like, why would he say that to someone? And the truth is, he'd say that because they'd sought first the kingdom, but not his righteousness. Because although their life outwardly was trying to reflect him, inwardly, there was no reflection of him. And how we reflect him inwardly matters as much as how we reflect him outwardly. Remember what he said to the Pharisees, that the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed sepulchers. A sepulcher is a bone box. It's where you stick the dead. You know, there's nothing good on the inside, but they whitewash them so they look pretty on the hillside. We don't want the church to be that, a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers, a bunch of guys who are pursuing the excellence of the kingdom on the outside, but inwardly there's no pursuit of righteousness. But remember, it's not works, it's not self, it's in the Holy Spirit. And so as we open our lives to the Holy Spirit, we allow his righteousness to be worked in us, challenging us, allowing people to speak. Like Richard said, sometimes it's challenging to work with your leaders because they might prod things that you want to leave alone. But as they do, and as you allow the Holy Spirit to work that in you, it's an amazing thing. But then there's also peace and joy. Peace, not as the world gives, but peace perhaps because you come to a point of forgiving someone on your own you couldn't forgive. But in the Holy Spirit, you're able to forgive that person and you're able to come to a place of communion with them. Perhaps it's peace because you've settled that actually that ambition that you had is not where God is taking you. And so that drive is no longer hounding you and you're able to have peace in the moment and the place where you are because you know that you are where God has you. Maybe peace because there's a tough decision you have to make and you know it's going to be hard, but actually, I've got peace because I know God's in it. So whether it's going or whether it's staying, whether it's doing much or, do, or doing less, that peace needs to come from God and the Holy Spirit. And then joy. Joy. Unspeakable joy. The, the joy that we have from God is our strength. So what does it mean? Seek first the kingdom of God. What I ended up writing back to my friend was ultimately it comes down to a Jesus first attitude. Whatever is best for Jesus trumps whatever is, I think is best for me. And by looking out for his best interests, 
I can be sure that he will look out for mine. And so for us this morning, the application of this, as Craig said earlier, are you here this morning trying to be a good Christian by squeezing really hard, but not by the grace of the Holy Spirit? Are you trying to be righteous, just good, trying to be a good person? Are you trying to have peace, but it feels a little more like panic? Are you trying to have joy, but it's slightly manic and over the edge because life is not easy and joy doesn't come quickly? There's a moment this morning for us to respond to the Holy Spirit and say, I want to be someone who seeks first the kingdom and his righteousness. That kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, that I'd submit my life, that I'd give my life, that I wouldn't be one who hides away or shies away from what the kingdom means and the changes it's going to bring, but I'd be someone who embraces those things head on, knowing that in his righteousness, in his peace, in his joy, is the best possible place to be. It could be you're here this morning and you've never given yourself, your life, to Jesus. And, and so I've been talking about Jesus and what he's done, and you're saying, well, what has he done? Um, and so very briefly, Jesus is the Son of God. And when God made us, he made us perfect, but because of us doing other things, things that we wanted instead of what he wanted, God calls that sin, and we broke the relationship we had with him. The consequence of sin is that ultimately we die. But God didn't want that for us. And so, although we didn't deserve it, and although we didn't want it or ask for it, he sent his son to die in our place. So where we should have died, he died instead. That the things we'd done wrong, instead of being blamed on us and put on us, were put on Jesus. And Jesus died. He died a sinner's death so that we could have the life that belonged to him. And so for you this morning, maybe you've heard that before, maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've been coming to church a long time and, and you feel like you're a Christian, but you've never done this one thing. You've never actually said, I want to give my life to you. I want to stop seeking the things that I want, pursuing the life I have for myself, and actually I want to follow you and have the life you've given to me. So I want to create an opportunity for you this morning if that's you. I love us just to close our eyes. I'm not looking to um, put anyone on the spot here or, or embarrass anyone. But I just want to create an opportunity. If you're saying, I would like to respond to Jesus and receive him, receive what he's done, that that exchange, that thing where my sin is put on him and his life is given to me, I want that for me. If you want that, then I'd love you just to raise your hand where you are so I can pray with you. Is there anyone here who say, that's me? I want that in my life right now. Thank you. Is there any other hands? Any other, anyone else say, oh, that's me this morning. I know that I need that in my life.
And it might be that you're saying, no, I, I've done that once before, but it was a long time ago, and I haven't actually been living that way. I haven't been living for God's righteousness, his peace, his joy. I said yes to Jesus, but actually I've more been living for myself. And if that's you, I also encourage you this morning, come back to Jesus. Come back to that first commitment you made. Is there someone like that this morning? You're saying, yeah, that's me. I did give my life to Jesus a long time ago, but today I feel like I need to actually come back. If that's you, I'd love to see your hand. Is there anyone like that? We can pray together this morning. Awesome. That's a good call. Could I just have one of the leaders come and sit by my friend here? If you're a gentleman home group leader, you'd be the perfect candidate to do that. Thank you. We've got some folks coming alongside those who raised their hand, and so I'm going to leave it to those people to, to lead these guys in prayer, and, um, and we can celebrate with them what God is doing as we hear of it. But I just want to give one more opportunity, as we've been talking this morning, and um, I just want to repeat that call that Craig made during the worship, which is, are you someone who is trying to be a good Christian? But there's this thing, you, you're, you're doing it yourself and you actually need the Holy Spirit to, to help you do this. You see, we can't do it on our own. We can't be Christians on our own. It just doesn't work. We will hurt ourselves, we'll hurt other people, and we'll burn out. But in Titus, it says that the grace of God has appeared to us, first for salvation, but then to teach us how to live this way, how to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And so today, there's this opportunity to receive that gift of grace from the Holy Spirit. So this Christian walk doesn't have to be hard in the sense of, I just can't do this. But there'd be the grace that would come from God that would make it something you feel you're able to do in the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to give the opportunity, if you want to stand where you are, I'd love to pray with you. Pray for that grace to come on you. And this is, um, this is a good thing. To receive the grace of God is a very good thing. This is not like, oh man, if I stand up, they're all going to think I'm weak and I can't handle it. Yeah, that's, that's what we all are. Um, <laughs> but some of us are brave enough to say it. So I'm standing, I need the grace of God. But if you need the grace of God in your life this morning, I'd love you just to stand up. I'm going to pray for you and then I hand back to Craig. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to wait long. Craig's standing, I'm standing. Anyone else? Any advance on one, two, three? Awesome. Okay, there's a few folks standing. I'll give you a moment. If you need the grace of God to live out the Christian life that God has placed ahead of you. Father God, I thank you for your grace. Your grace that is sufficient for us. Your grace that can carry us through all things. Your grace that was first revealed to us for salvation but now remains in us to train us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope of your return. Father God, I pray for your grace to come on each one who stood, each one who said, I need that grace this morning. Lord, I pray for that grace to come on each one, that as we stand here this morning, we would know your spirit at work in us, 
we would know your hand upon us. The righteousness, as we pursue righteousness, you would give us the grace to say no to sin and yes to godliness. That as we pursue your joy and your peace, we wouldn't pursue it as the world does, but we would pursue it in the Holy Spirit, finding joy in the Holy Spirit regardless of circumstance, finding peace in the Holy Spirit regardless of what is going on around us. The Father, your peace and your joy would fill us just as your righteousness is lived out through us. In Jesus' name, amen.